Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From the southernmost point of door to the lands of always winter and what is west of west and the shadows in the east, this is Casterly Talk. I'm Ken Napsuck, and I'm about to unveil, if you're watching live on YouTube, uh, a cast of characters, minus one. Lon, uh, we, I, you know, I thought about inviting the maester, but five faces, it's a lot of faces in this digital streaming media age. We're all in. So today, we're joined here on the show by our favorites, Andres Cabrera. Sir Thomas to tall Thomas Lane and Rachel Cushing live, live, live. All right, everybody, let me unmute those mics here. We are uh, going solid here on uh, Cast with Talk. Hello, Rachel, we, we got to start with you. Let's not bury the lead. Good to have you here live in studio. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. I'm so happy to be thinking about anything that's not COVID related, that's not to do with my job that is something i love and seeing people that i love and so thank you <laughs> for uh making this happen today uh, a lot of fun to just sit down and talk about the world of ice and fire uh, for those who are relatively new to the podcast or to this youtube live stream yeah hbo's game of thrones did wrap up but the world of ice and fire goes on we have a lot of fun looking back here on this show looking ahead to what's coming and uh to you know i don't know those little things called the books which might have something to do with this world that we all love uh andres cabrera good to have you here as well my dornish friend yes i am currently in dorn it is hot it is officially hot season (laughs) (laughs) um so i am feeling the desert vibes of dorn right now with the heat Mm. Uh, and I am loving it. I'm a, a officially ready to battle in the sands of Dorne. Man, I am sipping water like crazy. You and I, I am at the, I am at the yeah. wall in my heart. And you, sir, even your room, you, it looks very Dornish. It looks like uh, the water gardens. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I made sure it had that Dornish vibe. I have yeah. the the sun spear on my shirt. I mean, that's what this is. It's it's awesome. all it's all coming together, Ken. Dude, you 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 are. 
you are Obrin Martel of my heart, my friend. Uh, I'll I'll uh, I'll defend. I'll make you wear a helmet any day of the week. Yes. Uh, and the last uh, uh, person in the, in the crew here today, as uh, his uh, friends are in the uh, chat room uh, live, uh, uh, mocking him already, saying, "I know oh, that." God, here guy, we go. Come on. Sir Thomas Adele Thomas is leaning back on the show live today. How are you, my friend? I'm great. You know, I, I, I'm the opposite of Ace. I'm representing the North as, oh, as I am. My blood. Finally, someone doing my job as I'm supposed to. <laughs> Glad to be here. Absolutely. Um, one of, uh, I wanted to, before we start taking some questions, we got a great call today. Uh, Thomas, you're working on something for us here on the, on the show that going forward, we're really excited to talk about. We're going to go a little more detailed into the Dance of Dragons, the big Targaryen Civil War, the Greens, the Blacks, the history, the names, a lot of things, a lot of it found in the book Fire and Blood, which, uh, you know, uh, Rachel, I hear you like that book too, right? Um, uh, Thomas, what's some of the stuff we're working on and in the weeks forward we're going to be diving into so we're i'm trying to do it as um consistent as i can give it the the story as it goes chronologically so we're hoping to start with kind of the the end of king viserys the first reign and then head into a bit of an introduction to the blacks and the greens and Mm -hmm. then slowly dive into the many many wars that make up the dance of the dragons I'm excited. I'm excited because even though I've I've read that book and it's on my shelf and I'm, I'm poking through it again right now, I just uh, sometimes the information is so overwhelming that even though we are a year or so out, you know, from this show, House of the Dragon, and, and by the way, we don't know exactly what it's about. Uh, I think it's a good time to just really start getting that lore down. And then, uh, Rachel, I don't know if you would agree here, getting it down, but also letting ourselves float around it just in case there's some changes down the line. We all know the the dangerous paths that uh, expectations bring us. (laughs) So um, yeah, I totally get that. But I love this idea because there's not only the information from Fire and Blood, but there's the two short stories he wrote, uh, The Rogue Prince and The Princess and the Queen. So there, plus anything mentioned in the books themselves. So if you're picking all of the pieces and bringing them together to present, you know, sort of a, a play-by-play of all of that I think sounds like a a lot of fun (laughs) and be really just a good prep for what we expect that show to be I think it's going to be fun to dive in and and really kind of uh, study the history more than any other uh, kind of world uh Game of Thrones, World of Ice and Fire, it it, it rewards you for just kind of uh, appreciating the history. I think you, you can uh, get get a little bit more out of even the broad strokes of the show or anything. You just, I think you kind of can simmer in the juices of the history a little bit more. I, is that a statement? I think I saw that on a bumper sticker once. Uh, Andres, what, your relationship to Fire and Blood, I, I always have to remind myself, if you have read it, you do love it, right? You're on, you're on that team, right? Oh, absolutely. Right. Yeah, yes. I I am so excited for what I'm going to see on the show as well. Yeah. Uh, Mark and chat, we're recording this podcast live. Since at this point, I'm more excited for Fire and Blood Volume 2 than The Winds of Winter. That's a, that's a hot take. That's a hot take. Um, but I understand it. Uh, Thomas, I'll start with you. I, I where, where do you come down on that kind of, I mean, again, we want both. You don't, here's the thing, you don't have to choose, but my emotions are kind of understanding where Mark's coming from. Yeah, I, I completely get where he's coming from. I, at this point, I'm happy with either. Any, any more writing we get from George is writing I love. So, you know, yeah. I, either way, I'm totally happy. I know that's kind of a cop-out answer, but it's, it's the truth. It's how I feel. Yeah, Rachel, what do you feel about that? Yeah, it's, they're two different they're very different styles of writing. They're, they go down different paths, like fire and blood as dense as it is still doesn't even 
hold a candle to how dense the regular books are. Um, and, you know, and I, I love history. Ken, we've talked about this. I think it's why we yeah. love Fire and Blood so much. So, like, I love looking back to see the hints of what's to come. So there's reasons to look forward to both. Um, but Fire and Blood was sort of an unexpected thing that hit. Yeah. Like, I think I knew he was writing it, but I didn't understand what exactly it was going to be. And then I just fell so in love with it that it's yeah. upped my expectations for him to continue that. But the main series is the main series. And, and I'm so ready, especially now with the show done and having been able to sit with it for a year, which is crazy to me yeah. and everything else. Like I'm really excited to sort of shift back to Martin and his way of telling the story and how it's all going to, to, um, to right. flow and everything. So looking forward to both, but for very different reasons. I, th- I, th- I look. That's the very mature way to say it. Uh, uh, you know, uh, they don't call Mark uh, a maniac for nothing in chat there, right, uh, Thomas? Uh, Andres, uh, do you have any? Uh, any? Does your heart lead you one way in these uh, these uh, the books here? Uh, what do you got? Yeah, I mean, at this point, I think part of the allure of the Winds of Winter is almost. I mean, I hate to say it, and I hate to be that guy, but I have to to almost compare it to what the show delivered. And I know we haven't had. Uh, dream of uh, dream of spring yet but the idea of almost kind of putting the show and the book side by side to see how far they strayed away from each other i mm. think that's going to be part of the fun of yeah. having the rest of the series of the book but i think fire and blood is kind of that it has that new nba star kind of zion williamson vibe right now i, I hate to do basketball references <laughs> as i'm wearing sure. my son's t-shirt uh <laughs> but it has that kind of like Who's this new young kid who's so much more fun and exciting yeah. that people want to see more of right now? That's sure. interesting. That's interesting. Um, a couple in, in live in chat. This is why I like doing the show live. We get some live interaction here. A couple uh, different comments got us going back to the show House of the Dragon, and again, what it might end up being. We've we've heard some of the rumors. We we grab we're gravitating towards the big Targaryen civil war because it's kind of a centerpiece of the book. But uh, Spud Murphy has just says uh, Fire and Blood. I, I think he means the series has to start with the conquest, which kind of was uh, uh, backed up by the prince that wasn't promised. I think it should start pre-conquest. Uh, this is uh, the we keep coming back to this, but for people who might be watching relatively new, listening uh, to the podcast, uh, Rachel, I want to start with you here. The conquest, Aegon's conquest. I definitely want to see it outside of some of the wonderful animated uh, little docs we've got. Uh, I still don't know if that works for me as the start of this series. But what do you think? Where do you think now? That that might change, right? Uh, yeah, definitely. But we do know that um, Brian Cogman took a stab at a fire in blood. Um, pilot for HBO and they passed on it. And then Conlon came along and pitched something different. And we, Ken and I did a, um, a castly talk about this where we discussed how Cogman's the lore guy. I mean, he's our guy, like because of yeah. that. And so you, I assume that he really went back to Valyria and started us there and grew us into the story and probably included the conquest. My mm. guess is that Conlon started later diving into the big moment of fire and blood, which is dance of dragons. And that that was more appealing to the execs at HBO. I think that they don't necessarily need the start. I think that they just want to get to the most game of Thrones esque part of fire and blood, which is the dance of dragons. You've got all the intrigue, you've got the politics, you've got 
so many dragons, so many Targaryens. You've got houses we recognize. You've got houses that are right. new. It has a lot more touchstones, whereas a uh, going going and showing Valyria and the Doom and the going to Dragonstone and the the beginning of all that would be slightly new territory. And I just I think that's why they're not doing the um, Age of Heroes pilot. I think that right. they want to do something that are is directly tied to Game of Thrones or more directly tied to than either doing Valyria, the conquest or the yeah. uh, age of heroes. Uh, that's all speculation on my part, right. but it's hey. just, you know, studios versus creatives and, and what's the, what, where do you meet in the middle? <laughs> yeah. Look, Hey, I, I just, I still back, uh, I back your play there, Rachel it makes a lot of sense, but Andreas, can you live in a world where you don't see Aegon and his sister wives on, on your TV screen? I mean, how, how cool would it be to have the doom of Valeria as like the pilot episode of fire and blood and then episode two, we jump to Aegon's conquest and we jump to what we now know from fire and blood. But I think the doom, the vision, the whole idea of what it was like to live there. I think that would be the coolest thing, even if, and and I get what you're saying, Rachel, because you're spot on. I feel like the more familiar themes that and more familiar names and stories that you put in there for audiences that only watch game of thrones the tv show uh it helps uh, you know audiences tune in a little bit easier versus going back to a time where they might not know unless they either read the book or watch the videos uh from the dvd extras but i feel like having that as the first episode would be just an incredible almost like movie within itself as a pilot to kind of pitch mm. yeah. as this crazy, enormous action fantasy show that could almost <laughs> feel similar to Game of Thrones, but at the same time, its own thing. Yeah. I did pitch, yeah. sorry, I, I definitely want to hear what Thomas has to say too, but when Ken and I were just riffing when all of this news came out, I pitched like a Lord of the Rings style prologue that would touch all of those pieces. Yeah. So we'd have a 15 minute Doom, uh, Dana the Dreamer, um, going to Dragonstone, getting us to Aegon, seeing him step onto, you know, the shore, Blackwater Rush, and like, boom. And mm-hmm. then, you know, kind of like touch our way through the conquest and Aenys and Magor and get ourselves to Viserys, which is where yeah. I think the Dance of the Dragons actually starts. So yeah. I agree. Visually, I want to see the Doom. Everybody, who who doesn't want to see that? Like we do, like that just uh, volcanoes exploding, dragons, that civilization, what did it look like? But I don't know if they want to go full on, full episodes, full seasons dedicated yeah. to that. Uh, yeah. you, you guys are winning me over there. Uh, Rachel, does your prologue begin with kind of a, uh, the world is changing? If we could get Kate Blanchett to do the VO, <laughs> I'm on board. That's fine. Uh, <laughs> uh, Thomas, your thoughts on uh, this idea here. I, look, here's a nice thing, Thomas. Any uh, Game of Thrones, World of Ice and Fire stuff is uh, is going to be cool. Yeah, that's that's pretty much the line. We win either way. Yeah, yeah. Um, I would love to see that prologue. That is an idea. I've, I've until until you brought this up here, I, I listened to that episode and forgot about that entirely. I'd love to see that. Uh, mm-hmm. For me, I feel like we're gonna pick up with some sort of introduction during the end of King Viserys the First Reign. Yes, and then they'll use all the similarities in the beginning of the dance that are so similar to the the first book in the first season of A Song of Ice and Fire. You know, we write down to a queen trying to keep her son on the throne, right? Yeah. So we have all those similarities. I think that's probably most likely where we're gonna start. But my preference would be to see that prologue. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, prologue, pro prologue here at Casterly Talk. Got a question uh, live in chat. Then I have a great uh, question for Rachel, the editor. Rachel, the editor. It's like it's like uh, your 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 special Game of Thrones name. That's Queen Rachel, the editor. Uh, Heath Jones has an interesting thing here. I'm about 100 pages into Feast for Crows, and I'm finding it hard to get into it at the moment. Should I read Fire and Blood instead and go back to the other later, or continue with Feast for Crows? Assuming you got to choose right now, uh, Heath. You know, I, I would say read both. All day, twelve hours a day, you get through it. Um, book stuff here. This is uh, Feast for Crows. is It's a challenge. It's a challenge. Not that it's bad. Not. It's just it is. You're going along, and suddenly you're over here. We we know some of the stories uh, led George to do that stuff. Um, uh, Rachel, I'm going to start with you here. Uh, is, is, is fire them fire and blood something you should get through now, or should you should he dig in on Feast for Crows? I'm something of a completist, so I would say stick with Feast for Crows. Um, it was hard for all of us the first time because it's it's jarring. Mm-hmm. But the thing about it is that it's a fantastic book. And his new characters are great. Don't let yeah. the show fool you. Um, there's stuff in there that does pay off. There's stuff in there that really does fit with everything that he was doing. He just didn't pace it out. Right. So you, right. you he ran to the end of all the characters that we knew and then set them aside and then introduced all new characters. And that that's that's inevitably going to be difficult. But I personally think that, you know, put in the work, put in the effort, um, get through it. And then I can almost guarantee you the next time you read it, you'll love it because there's a, so much great stuff in there. And then go to Fire and Blood. Like I absolutely, you know, want yeah. you to read that, too. But I would say, that you know, stick it out. Yeah, I mean, look, it's it's a lot of work here. And I, and I want to come back to a specific question for you, Rachel, to this book, but I want to get Thomas and, and Andres in on this here. Thomas, uh, should, Heath, uh, should Heath bail out and come back to it uh, at a later time and just uh, dig into uh, Fire and Blood? I think the, the joy is if if he did decide to do that, that Fire and Blood is very episodic. The chapters read uh, very one by one. So, you know, you could go read a chapter as a break and then come back to Feast. Feast, I've, I've read it twice and I agree with Rachel entirely. I still found it for me to be the hardest read. It felt very yeah. long uh, and was very emotionally jarring. Like you said, you bring in a whole cast of new characters and you just feel like you're disconnected almost for, for me for about 100 pages. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, you know, I'd encourage you to keep reading it. But if you do need a break, go read a chapter of Fire and Blood. Nothing wrong with that. That's a good you're you're a good counselor uh, therapist for Game of Thrones uh, books there, uh, Thomas. I'm That's like, a, stick to it. Do yeah. it. And Tom's like, no, it's, it's okay. Like, you don't have to. You finish all 2000 pages. Uh, Andres, uh, any advice, thoughts here? Uh, it, it's hard coming coming after Thomas's advice, obviously. Yeah, that's great. Uh, because I feel like it's kind of up to him, right? I mean, if he wants to come back to it, as long as he comes mm-hmm. back to it, I think that's okay. Uh, but at the same time, I'm, I feel I feel a lot of what Rachel is saying about just sticking with it and just getting through it and and really finding the best that you can find out of it and enjoying what you can and just kind of push through. I guess is is kind of always been my attitude. So that's push probably. Through my my advice as well that's that's push through it's not a bad thing either there uh rachel what i, what I wanted to come to, to back to you because you you are uh, and thomas correct me you might correct me in your history of the books i i was season one and then dove into the books that's how i came in we all have different entry points into this wonderful franchise but rachel you are of all the people under you were the ones who were like you were back in the day you were like the 90s, the dream of the of the 90s was alive in Portland and your books there, reading there. Um, when you got to Feast for Crows, what was back then? 
because I got to it and it was weird, but at least I had some context or some, you know, I had some, you know, part of it was weird of just like, what am I seeing? And, and season four hadn't, I, I, I was reading Feast before season four. Um, back in the day, what was it like back then where you had waited and suddenly you're like, I mean, George had to put a note in it. Like, I know you're missing some of the characters you love. <laughs> like, yeah. what was it like? It, it's, it was really jarring, you know, um, it's a really interesting prologue. I think that's the Aaron uh, Greyjoy yeah. prologue. And yeah. um, and so I was like, okay, well, I know what the Greyjoys are. This is an interesting thing. Like, this is going to go into it. But then you're you're in it for a while, and you're like, okay. Like, we're, we're these are the brothers and the king's moot and all this stuff. And like, yeah. what does this have to do with everything? You just keep asking yourself, you know, well, what's happening with these other guys? Because we didn't have a sense yet of timelines and how we had pushed past we'd actually jumped back in time at the beginning of feast for crows and so if some i'm sure somebody online has actually listed all the chapters chronologically so that you could get a better sense of who is where when but um but yeah i i I, it was not easy because at that point you know i um you come off of books two and three and and three is just so good. <laughs> yeah, no, you're you're rare to go. You're, you're just, raring to go. Everything three, yeah. has just come full head, and like, and you just feel like you're making so much forward progress, and there's so mo- momentum, and you're like, oh my god, and then you j- you feel like you got to a screeching halt, and you're like, and yeah. now we're here, and you're why yeah. there, but there is a why, there is a reason for it, and, and totally that's is. why like I I say that it's much easier later on, and yeah. the the show does help give context with that if people have watched the show and are now visiting the books, you'll have a. This probably won't seem as jarring to you, yeah. but um, but uh, the 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 tangents are worth it. Like yeah. I, the Martells are some of my favorite characters, and it's mm-hmm. probably my biggest issue with the show to date is the is the the miss. Missed yeah. opportunities with the Martells. Oh, Ace every, knows. Every time I run into Ace at a party, he's just shaking his head, going, "Arian Martell, Arian Martell." They didn't even have Arian Martell. Yeah. I have to, I have to like put some shrimp in his hand and, and get him back into the party. Don't y'all want to see Dark Star on on your TV oh. screen? Come on, yeah, totally. Look, totally. I I, I don't disagree. With anyway, that yeah, and and reading the book, I remember like like the Arian Martell stuff. I'm like sitting there, and I was just like, "This is really cool." All right. Uh, when are we going to get back to the, the other stuff I love? You know, yeah. and, and and I think sometimes you have to be able to follow the stories to where you want to – don't yeah. want it to go or and find out where it goes there. Uh, Thomas, did you have uh, any kind of a similar reaction reading Feast or were you just like, nah, I'm in? See, for me, like I, I came in a little bit later, right, having yeah. having been three seasons late into the show and then starting then with the books. We were kind of getting to that point, and by the time yeah. I got to Feast, I was – you know, like you said, it was eased for me. I didn't I didn't have that struggle, but – separating the two as i've gotten further into the book lore away from the show lore rereading it is still difficult uh like i said earlier it's it's an enjoyable read very much so but like you said there's even a note to to tell you just how jarring it is and prepare you for that and it's there for a reason yeah it's there's some great cersei stuff in there i've been doing a i was doing a slow reread one of those like it's on my shelf and i'll just grab it and do kind of not even a whole chapter just like a section here and there there's some great Cersei stuff and in there so Heath uh one way or another you're gonna get to it there here's a, here's an interesting question I don't, we have this lot in like Star Wars like what what order should you watch the movies and different generations and how you approach a franchise like that uh Eddie's uh Eddie Haskell's got a great question here. so I, when I eventually start uh GOT a song of ice and fire uh what book do I start with so obviously that makes sense you know a song of ice and fire you got an order but with all the other material out there including fire and blood is there any argument 
I'll throw it to any of you first. Whoever wants to jump in with the highest bid here. Is there any any argument to, eh, yeah, start with fire and blood. You get some history in you. Like, it, it was there any world, or do you just see, hey, George has it. He he kind of takes you into the world pretty well with the book series, with, with The Song of Ice and Fire. It's hard Thomas? because yeah? it's like Rachel? you think about it, like how I did it. And I mm. I can't remember if Fire and Blood is written in such a way that you could come in cold. Like, is the writing in that book still make enough assumptions about you being familiar with the novels? It might. Um, I'd have to to look at it through that lens. Um, Because it's also a world of ice and fire, which um, is even more so like that's like just like a paragraph on something sometimes. And then it's, it moves on Um, and it can lay out that the history, history of the world. But I think I kind of just, go with the way that I did it and start with the books and then fire and blood and, and the short stories and Duncan egg and all of that stuff. They, they fit into that world because you already know it. And so yeah. you, you're just like, these are expansions on it and, and maybe some things will click and stuff like that. But yeah. like, I've never thought about it reading fire and blood before the, I, the novel. I, and I don't know if in the end of the day I'm going to recommend. It. I think Eddie, you go and you you get the book set and you start with the Game of Thrones and you and you and you go on down the line uh, with like the rest of us, Clash of Kings, Storm of Swords, all that kind of stuff. Um, it's just it's one of those it's one of those things. It's like would would I don't know, Andres is like I have that quick little thought. It's maybe fleeting of just like. Well, if you read in the book, uh, you know, uh, something uh, that's mentioned in Fire and Blood, and you have that knowledge. Would it help it in any way, shape or form? I don't know. I'm probably this is water, not vodka, I swear. But it's just a weird, weird wild thought. Yeah, I've always preferred just the chronological timeline in general. Like even yeah. when I get that Star Wars question, because obviously we're big Star Wars guys. Mm-hmm. I always feel like going back and watching the original trilogy first. Yeah. Is, is rewarding because you get to see the progression of where George Lucas was going and you get to see the progression of not only storytelling, but also visual effects, um, you know, yeah. movies of the time, audience, like what, what he's going for in each one of his movies. And I feel like that's kind of the same vibe I get from yeah. uh, A Song of Ice and Fire where you get to see what he wanted to do and you see the progression from there. Uh, so yeah. I'm a big chronological time guy. <laughs> no, no, I, I and uh, I, I brought up this comment, La, La Ross, La, La Ross Casey. I'm saying that so wrong because I want to yeah. say it like a, like a Game of Thrones character here. Uh, everything should be watched read in order of release. Yeah, that makes sense. Yes. I, it was a wild thought. That's it was a wild thought, Thomas. I, I withdraw it from the council. All right, I, I uh, sorry there. Um, going back up top, we had a question way up there. Um, oh, here it is from uh, Mark the Maniac. There. So, what is your favorite small moment in the show? I.e., John and Jorah's chat before uh, Beyond the Wall. Oh, that's a great one. Cersei, yeah. Robert, etc. Et, et um, Favorite small moments. I'm springing it on you there. Uh, Thomas, do you have an answer here? Something tiny that you like? Uh, there's there's two from the first season. I go to the show only Robert and Cersei scene. And oh, I get God, yeah. John on the wall. Those are yeah. my small moments that always stand out. And and I don't know if it's just because I finished rewatching the first season. But even before that, I feel like those are the two small moments that really stand out to me. Oh, that's not. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. Andres, uh, a small moment. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to define small moment. I know that's <laughs> the hard, well, that's the like yeah. you know, because like the big is battles and you know big moments and stuff. Like, but I've said 
for years that my favorite scene is Jamie and Brienne in the bathtub where he talks oh. about what really happened with Aries. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's not really small. Like I can think of like, a, like when that question made me think for some reason of uh, when Sansa comes down the stairs in the Erie after she's made the dress and she, she had just mm-hmm. lied to um, uh, uh, Royce and uh, saved Peter and she, yeah. she like her transformation. Like I just remember as terms of like a visually a character, visual, mm-hmm. small, just shot. Like that yeah. one has always stuck with me and it's all the worst when you know what happens the following season. But, um, yeah. but yeah, but that's what I thought of small, but I think the Brian Jamie scene could possibly count. Look, look, yeah. Any, anytime I see Jamie Lannister walking into a bathtub, that's not a small <laughs> moment for me. Okay. Rachel, that's big. Um, yeah. Andres, what do you have? Yeah. How many Baelish <laughs> moments can you list on Ace? <laughs> oh, uh, I wasn't thinking of Baelish, actually. Uh, I was thinking of moments like, uh, obviously, I, I go straight to o- Oberyn, uh, because obviously everyone, his big moment is episode eight, the mountain and the viper. But I, I love, I think it's the episode before when he goes to the dungeon uh, with Tyrion, and he has that little moment of kind of telling him his backstory and how he met Tyrion when he was a baby and how Cersei always hated him. That six-minute scene... Yeah, is one of my favorite all time Game of Thrones moment. Just anything itself, period. I think that yeah. one, and then the other Oberyn moment when he talks to Tywin uh, in the brothel. Yeah, and, and they have that little mini deal where they kind of agree to like kill each other at a later time, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, but I think yeah. that moment is absolutely one of my favorites, and it's also kind of a small moment. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and 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 I bought the Ben Wellington said this conversations are small moments with with huge character beats, and and yeah. some of our choices might it it depends. Again, if you were to do a you know a little Star Wars, I always do like my favorite uh, background Star Wars lines. Uh, you know, what is she proposing? And it's metal. Those are those are tiny, tiny, tiny moments, and you could find a lot of Game of Thrones moments like that. But it's funny. We are all going to scenes that maybe aren't as loud there are not as many swords clashing it's these right. conversations that we love uh in chat uh ranger donald saying danny and sir barristan uh, scene about rhaegar which yeah. is unfortunately when i knew my buddy barristan was going <laughs> yeah. yeah um and i'm with hillbilly scribs here a big fan of the scenes yes. with aria and tywin at heron hall uh, i yes. i because you know, Ace, when you and I did that Tywin episode because we just absolutely love tywin um yes. uh, even though we're not supposed to uh, um I still, in my head, there's that, I play around, I watch those scenes, I'm like, how much did Tywin really know in those moments? How much yeah. did he just kind of figure maybe something was out, or did he play dumb, or did Arya uh, outsmart him enough to where he, he didn't have any clue? But he knows she's something more than she is, that's for sure. And I, yeah, so it's those little tiny beats all through those conversations that we love, right, Ace? Yeah, absolutely. Anything with Tywin. I mean, I can even go back to season one, and it's Tywin's first introduction. Like, Skinning my God. Ear. Yeah, it was incredible. <laughs> so I, I, I still feel like that is what got me to be one of the biggest Tywin fans. I was like, oh, my God, yeah. who is this guy? Because uh, that moment is absolutely incredible. Uh, yeah, and Ben, uh, great. Yeah, hell yeah, a gift from the show, not in the books, those Tywin Ori mm-hmm. moments. Mark, who asked the question, says, expanding on that small moment with John and Jorah, when Danny arrives to save the group, Suicide Squad South, John stays a bit behind to fight for more whites. Jorah yells out, John, which is cool because no one calls John by his name. It symbolizes the two are connected on a personal level, something that really happens. It's simple yet uh, significant. Yeah, those are the beautiful, beautiful moments uh, uh, there. And there's many, uh, many uh, all through the show. 
of, uh, of those th- uh, small moments. We'll have to go back at some point. We'll just make a list. We'll actually prepare ourselves, kind of set a bar for what we consider small. Or we might just have our favorite conversations conversations oh, as well. I like that. Yeah. Um, we are, uh, I got a question here for uh, you, Rachel, and then we're going to take a call from our good buddy, uh, Eric Monroe, who I think is uh, cooking a barbecue dinner. And he, he, he commented a few minutes ago, barbecue dinner is done. So Eric's going to share with the team here. Uh, this comes from my Discord server, which is connected to my Patreon page at patreon.com slash catnapsock. It's from Sarah Risley. And she says, I would love to know from Rachel's eye as an editor, which episode or episodes did she feel were the best edited? Now, Rachel, this is what uh, you do by trade. You're very good at it. You are an award level editor where I'm just an iMovie amateur. <laughs> so I, uh, I'm going to we have to defer to your knowledge on this. What, what as an editor, what episodes have you been drawn to? Well, I've always said that the best editing is showcased the most in two different kinds of scenes, battle scenes um, and any scene that is about building tension toward a payoff. Editing really plays a huge role in both of those. So it's very easy to go to Watchers on the Wall, uh, Battle of Bastards, um, you know, uh, The Long Night, uh, The Bells. Um, And actually I was thinking about The Bells because Ace, I remember when we were talking about it, when we were doing our recaps, there's the oneer of Arya, mm, and yeah. it was supposed to just follow her through the streets. But then the editor, whose name is Tim Porter, um, chose not to stick with it, but to intercut her with the mountain fighting um, uh, the hound. And mm. because it, thematically that actually worked better, but that was not the intention. That was the editor and probably the director working through it and realizing that that intercutting was the better way to tell the story than to actually showcase, which was a pretty damn cool shot. Like one of her stumbling through the, the streets of yeah. King's Landing during the battle. Um, but I have two answers. Uh, I've always said my favorite battle is one that combines the um, battle editing and the tension editing. And that's hard home. To, uh, that is one of my favorite scenes in the whole series, because as Ken often says, like, you know something's wrong, but you don't know what. You know that the t- clock is ticking, but you don't know to what. And then you hear the dogs barking. And then it just starts to build. And you're so tense. It gets me every time. And then when it breaks out and it's the frenzy of battle, this is why the Battle of Bastards is really well edited too. It's that thin line between I don't know what's happening because you don't in a battle because it's that kind of crazy chaos, but I can follow what's happening because it's a TV show and I need to be able to follow what's happening. So it's that balance. Um, And then the other piece that I always think of, and this is also because I just rewatched this episode, the winds of winter, the season six finale, the first opening seven minutes to the music by uh, uh, Rama Yeah. The, the yeah. light of the seven and oh. it's it's Cersei's plan to blow up the um the sept and that again I have goosebumps like it yeah. that is yeah. there's very little dialogue in that there's just a lot of perfect shots perfectly edited to that music and you just building 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 and you're like what is gonna happen and it's gorgeous even though it's heinous <laughs> like yeah. what she does but it's 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 just it's something else and um and to have battle of the bastards and the winds of winter be the one-two punch of the end of that season like yeah hats off yeah that's crazy 
It, you know, I mean, great answers all around, Rachel. Your your insight into the the process and and, and different styles of editing is, is as I would expect. Great. Uh, you're you're talking about that the winds of winter moment. It's like it the the sip heard of wine heard around the world from Cersei. <laughs> that is that is perfectly paced. Yeah. The amount of time that 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 shot comes in and and it isn't. She's not it. Everything from acting. <laughs> directing and the editing of it yeah all of it okay. put together that's a great example because they always say you make these movies and tv shows three times the writing the, the actual shooting and then it's remade again and editing yeah. that's the final piece to make it so beautiful that's that's a great moment mm, good yeah stuff. I, I i'm gonna echo everything you said rachel that that moment and the fact that it ends with obviously we, we cut to the cersei wine moment which is literal perfection but the fact that it ends with tommen which is mm-hmm. even like even more like you're just like oh my god what happened and then I think it it cuts to uh to audio by Walter Frey right am I am I correct with that yeah uh, the scene yeah. ends with Tommen and then you cut to um, the scene with Jamie and Walter Frey celebrating the fall of River yeah. Run and I almost yeah. feel like the audio comes in first where you hear okay. his line uh, mm-hmm. you hear Walter Frey's line uh, I believe he says something about celebrating a victory while Tommen is like while it's still on the window <laughs> shot and you're just like what is going on <laughs> yeah. uh, it's absolutely incredible that that scene is is fascinating I, I want to echo real quick my yep. Uh, the, I always go back because there's so many great oneers. Like the Arya Stark one is incredible. Uh, the Braun one on the on the on the train battle, the the uh, season Wagon seven. Uh, yeah. Yes, episode four uh, is a great oneer when he's getting chased by the the Thraki. And right. then my favorite one is still oh Watchers on the Wall. That oneer is incredible oh, when it goes yeah. over the wall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but oh, yeah. my favorite is still the Battle of the Bastards, the one with Jon Snow following right behind him as he's going through the horses and like literally everyone flying all over his face. It's literally like maybe eight or ten seconds, but it's still so freaking well choreographed yeah. and incredible. Yeah. I, I love that one. Stuff. Yeah, Rachel, what program do you think they're using? iMovie 9 or is it uh, <laughs> Paint? Is it, yeah, is they're it using the art? TikTok editor. Yeah, yeah. Right. You know what's crazy? There's only eight editors that worked on all eight seasons. Wow. And I think Ooh. they did the editorial in England. I'm not 100% sure, okay. but um, but yeah. But I kept looking up like my favorites. In this, an editor named Tim Porter did a lot of the bigger episodes that I'm talking about. Um, but yeah, but yeah. I looked in the entire series, all of those episodes, only eight it's, people were the editors on it. So they knew it so yeah. well. It, this this is a, 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 I'm showing my simple brain here. But Rachel, that's just got to be them them as, as as showrunners and producers and writers and directors uh feeling a rhythm with those eight souls right it, it's but, just yeah because especially because you also notice too that like they would bring in new directors in in like the middle seasons but it still felt like a family of directors and they kept bringing people back and then when you have two people like david and dan overseeing the whole thing and then the documentary that came out you see a lot yeah. of people have seen the whole series through you know the longer a series goes on if you still have the same people, then you still have the same bones. You're still building on the same foundation that you created in the beginning. And yeah, in the rhythm of that, there's probably a lot more trust there too. Like if yeah. you only have eight editors, that means they're each editing two to three episodes a season. That's a lot yeah. because these are mini movies. And yeah. so 
I am have to imagine that David and Dan trusted these people pretty implicitly. And I have to imagine that these editors, you know, are some of the best in the game because they knew that so well and that they were able to go off and just edit the show without mm. having somebody constantly breathing down their necks with everything because all the pieces are going all year long, all the same time for eight years. Like that's how this 10 years really that this show got made. So it, it look, it blows my mind. I started going to uh, like through this film school process, did two years screenwriting, uh, film production, wanted to be a director. And then the first time they sat me down in an editing room and was like, Oh, this is where most of the work is. It was like, I'm going to go do radio and stand up comedy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so yeah, you, uh, you got, you editors, uh, Rachel, you, you really do make, I mean, you, you make this stuff. You're talking about that scene with Arya running and then just an editor got Tim going, you know what work? How about this? And, 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 that that's uh, the beauty of the process there. Um, uh, we're going to get this phone call with our friend Eric soon, but uh, Mark, Mark's on fire today. Mark Kamir in the chat room, man. He's got some good questions there. Uh, Thomas, I know you work with Mark and Mark used to call in a lot to day of the Thrones and clearly contributes here to Castle talk. But uh, is Mark really a maniac? Is that, is that true? Yes. Yes. If you yes. want to hear Mark Rand, you'll find our stuff. Okay. He asked this question. It's a tough one. Would you prefer Ooh. someone new or have a compo or have composer Raman Jawadi return for House of the Dragon? This is similar to some of the Star Wars stuff. Uh, you know, John Williams, uh, you know, going back to episode seven, it made sense that he was there. And then they go to Rogue One, they go a different direction. It, it was it was a tough sell. It still might be a tough sell to some people. Uh Thomas, can you imagine any Game of Thrones related uh TV show and not having Raman's music behind it? Only if it's Howard Shore. That's the, I hate to give you a short answer, but only. I like that answer. And, and, you know, can you get that lucky to have Howard Shore on television? Who knows? Maybe. Hopefully. Uh, I like that answer, Andres. Oh, man. It's tough because you always want to stay true to what you've heard before, especially with someone like Jawadi. Um, but at the same time, I, Ken, I, I think about Ludwig, right? Uh, with Star Wars and The Mandalorian. Yeah. who kind of came in and he's like this young kid who's probably two or three years older than me, uh, who's now the stud composer who tried to bring in a new style and a new energy to Star Wars. Who knows? Maybe there's someone unknown who can come in and just create something co uh, completely original. I love that answer. I love that answer. We, we're, we're obviously going to talk all, a lot about Star Wars. Uh, and when I'm talking Star Wars, I talk a lot about Game of Thrones. It's just yeah. these two worlds are big and, and similar. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, you know, with Rogue One score, uh, with they had a Desplat, a Desplat had a, you know, Mark Riley's not here, I'll say it wrong. Um, they had the last second uh, uh, switch, and Giacchino comes in, and then I love the solo score, John Powell, but he also takes a lot of Williams' oh, yeah. uh, uh, motifs and themes and, and works them very well into that. But Ludwig Gordonson, you're right. It's so memorable, and it's so different, but it also feels Star Wars. That's what could possibly happen, Rachel, if we are brave enough to step outside of our little boxes as fans with a new show with a new composer, right? Yeah, my guess is we're not quite there yet because this is whatever comes next is the first mm. spinoff. You know, we've only had the original at this point. So and like we were talking about with what we think House of the Dragon is going to be about, I think they still want to play things safer. And so um, I think that they would prefer to keep Jawadi um, and prefer to keep. And the reason why I definitely want to keep him. And if they go with somebody else to go with somebody that has um, an international flavor to his music, like he uses very interesting instruments and sounds and things that are much have a more international feel to them than somebody 
like, I mean, I, I, love, I adore John Williams, but you recognize a John Williams score like that because of the strings, sure. you know? Yeah. And so, you know, I think, I hope whatever happens next, if they um, keep that international, really interesting instrument um, usage flavor to the Game of Thrones uh, scores. But yeah. my guess is they will keep Juwadi as long as they can, but that down the road, when yeah. they've had a few series and a few movies and a few what like and, and then they're ready to go, let's try a left turn. Let's try a, an out there concept with a different set of people and something like that. I'm all for that's it. my the guess. Only, the only thing I, my big uh, final answer uh, push comes from the fact that I want uh, I want Juwadi to do it so that when I go to the Game of Thrones concert uh, experience, he has that much more music to play. Yes, that's those are amazing. Uh, yeah, yes. Uh, Ranger Donald Donald Long says, "Would you like the same style opening intro?" I, it'd be that same 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 thing, man. Uh, I I it'd be really weird for me to sit down and not hear. I, I get a different theme, but to yeah. not see a map in motion, I'd be all yeah. You have to be open to that kind of stuff. You have to let their let their creativity flow. But it would be a little weird, I think. And mm. that's so helpful. I mean, I don't know. But yeah. I, Ken and I are map people. We love, love, love maps. There's so, a lot like, of map people here today. Okay, good. So we're on the same page that like a love that the map is not just cool to look at, but helpful. Where is Winterfell compared to King's Landing compared to what's happening in Essos? I mean, the scale wasn't exact, but you still got a sense of moving around the world and where our different locations are in relation to each other. And I think that's important to the stories that you're telling when you're interweaving stories that are half a yeah. world away from each other. Yeah. Uh, uh, I think yeah. that's especially important in a prequel, right? To show you the exact same places or, or places that are, are related to it and where they are now during this timeline. I think that'll be crucial to audiences who might be confused as far as what's going on and when it's going on and when they see where the places that they're used to and how it looks now, I think that'd be kind of interesting. Mm. I think there's yeah. the, the, the possibility of, you know, the original open that they had done for the show was following the Raven fly around. I wouldn't mind seeing a version of that with a dragon. If we're doing house of the dragon, yeah, lean in. Yeah. How much <laughs> has changed. That's right? a winner. I like that. I like that. That's, that's a winner, Thomas. You get the big win here today for that one. There, it's the POV uh, dragon shot. POV. Who doesn't want a POV dragon shot? Uh, okay, yeah. we are going to go to this call here, uh, and when I do that, I bring up this so that we can. Uh, you don't have to just see our faces staring. I also have to do a weird adjustment on the fly due to uh, an update needed on the board. So bear with me uh, if you're listening or watching live. You might hear an echo for a second here, but we're going to play this call from our friend Eric Monroe. Hey, Ken and Cash, let's talk. First off, Ken, I want to wish you a very happy belated birthday. So there are you know, so many crazy, you know, Game of Thrones theories out there. there you know, we've talked about many of them um, back on Daily Thrones and now on Cast Really Talk. And I think out of all the theories, though, I, the one I wish would have come true was that Serial Pharrell was Jack Hagar. And I will tell you why, because... Arya's story with the House of Black and White, I, I totally get it. It was necessary. Definitely had its moments, like the killing of Samara and Trent. I love that. But it wasn't my favorite part of the show. I much preferred her adventures with the Hound and her stuff with Tywin in season two. But had the big, had the big twist and revealed been that Jack Hungar was Serial Pharrell the whole time, it might have made it all worth it for me, especially during rewatches. So for you, which crazy theory do you wish would have come true? 
All right, that's a, that's a good question. What crazy theory? We have a lot of fun as fans. We freeze frame shadows and go, look, Sirio Pharrell is back. There's a shadow on the wall. It's got to be him. And that's fun, and I never want that to stop. But sometimes it creates disappointment. Other times, uh, you know, you're like, ooh, what could have been? And that's just a natural instinct uh, to have when you're watching all this stuff. So um, uh, what do you think, uh, Thomas, I'll start with you. What's a wild theory that you would have loved to have seen come true, even if it was completely impossible i actually think this is one of the more likely ones it's the the idea of rob dying twice that's mm. that's one that i've always been attached to i i loved rob stark despite his errors um yeah. and the idea of that character dying twice was heart-wrenching for me and i think in the books it plays almost more to that possibility okay. that it does in the show I, I like that answer i like that answer andres what do you have yeah i was gonna say if that happened i think uh, too many hearts would be beyond repair. <laughs> I'm good. Yeah. Uh, I, I, you know what's a funny one that you guys, I don't even know if you guys know about this one, but this is mm-hmm. one that that's in the little finger Reddit <laughs> that I'm in. <laughs> uh, it, it's the whole like little finger didn't get killed one. And he's actually going to come back. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you guys heard about this, but apparently it was a, a lot of people threw it around, but it was this whole idea that like, Littlefinger hired this faceless man to like somehow take his place using magic to make right. it look like it was Littlefinger, but in reality he wasn't there and he paid someone off and he was somewhere else and he was planning his plot for the throne. It was a crazy, crazy theory. Mm. And it was literally just that that Littlefinger fan in me that wanted to believe it. But beyond that, it was just completely unreasonable. Uh, but just having that Littlefinger fan in me, I would have loved to see little finger just show up at the end of season eight and be like <laughs> by the way i win and i'd be like yes <laughs> love that. i love that uh, rachel i want to close with yours here because it's uh, we're so happy to have you here today my silly ones they're not these they're not these reddit threads they're not these kind of long-held ones they're like watching the show and thinking this is going to happen without a doubt the theory that stannis was and still is alive i can't let go of right i mean we never all, saw I know, the killing blow I, you know i know we all here agree with that or maybe it's just me and eric and chat uh we didn't see him go so stannis is going to emerge here in season nine end of season nine um but the one i had and this is where you read the books and things are a little different and you have that knowledge and you understand it. And maybe you can forget that the producers never intended to go every little detail in the books. And so you can get lost. I love Mance Raider. I love Mance Raider. And Kieran Hines is so great. And every scene, every line he has is it Gren and Mag, Mag and Gren, all those moments. So when he goes and he dies, I'm in a hotel room in Las Vegas with two of my friends, uh, Paul and Jay, Jace a lot of times watches the show We're in a hotel room They hadn't read the books And they were a little less concerned about spoilers Mance dies John puts that arrow Boom, it's a great moment Great moment Great ending And I'm like, oh, he's not dead oh, no. they got, they got, See, uh, the guy behind him That's just this rattleship And see, and there's this Matt And there's this switcheroo And there's this thing And then it leads to this And then he's the, the ghost of Winterfell And uh, don't worry Don't worry, he's not dead I had to face that fact pretty quick to that theory. <laughs> Me in that hotel room in Las Vegas at the Gold Coast Casino uh, with, with our friends down there playing playing the Game of Thrones slots, actually, going, don't worry, don't worry. Man's just coming back. I know. I read the books. You have to let that go. I wish, though, I still wish that theory was true. <laughs> I still wish it. I got to see some of that stuff on the show. Uh, Rachel, what do you have for theories that aren't true that maybe you want? Okay. I have 
a, a silly one and a serious one, a more serious one. Um, the silly one is I sort of loved the when people were really playing around with Bran being able to travel through time in some way, shape, or form. Like when he travels back to the Tower of Joy and he yells his father's name, his father turned and looked. So a lot of people were saying when he had that mirage, uh, barrage um, uh, dream sequence when he touched the heart tree, uh, he saw the Mad King. And a lot of people thought, well, oh my God, did Bran whisper to Ares, burn them all, and thus driving Ares to actually do what he did back then to set everything in motion? I was like, I kind of don't hate that. It's crazy, but what they had set up with Hodor and like the self-fulfilling, like what happened didn't happen yeah. until this happened, like that time travel aspect of it, um, kind of buy into all of like, he's actually the Night King or all the brands throughout history. But this was a, another just more simple, yeah. maybe it was a domino that he uh, was involved in that I kind of liked. Um, and then yeah. I still struggle with, where Cersei and Jamie ended and the lack of Valonqar and even with like whether or not it ends up being the Cleganes in the books or the actual little brother big brother situation but the mm. fact that Jamie didn't actually wasn't the one who killed Cersei like to me that just mm. felt like it was supposed to happen and mm. everything was leading there and then that little sidestep that the show did I still don't feel was earned. I get what they were trying to do, but I don't think they got, they set all of the things in motion to get us there. Um, and I just think the most poetic, heartbreaking, but full circle thing that could have happened is if Jamie was the one to kill Cersei. Yeah, but that's Ra me. Rachel wants to see murder. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Uh, I love some theories here in chat. Uh, Prince that wasn't promises. My favorite crazy theory was that Mance is Rhaegar. I love that too. Mance, oh. uh, they, sh they like playing the same instrument right there. Um, oh, got <laughs> this one uh, from Rob. Oh, uh, Varys is a merman. Uh, that was a lot of traction. <laughs> that was a popular one. It yep. was. Uh, and going to uh, Littlefinger there, a fan of Littlefinger starting uh, uh, the rumor that starts the rebellion, uh, which, uh, hey, we know uh, he, he had a lot to do with a lot of things there, man. Uh, that's part of the reason you love him, Ace, right? People in chat are concerned about your love of Baelish. I know. I, but I, just I, like I, my I, love of Stannis. Yeah. yeah, I've gotten a lot of hate for that. <laughs> it's okay, man. Yeah. We make our stands in life. We choose what we yes. fight for. And you have chosen Peter Baelish, and that's quite all right. All right, we are almost out of here. I want to thank everyone who watched live in chat. Uh, if you're uh, watching on YouTube, hey, like the video if you uh, want to. If you're watching later, do so. Leave us a nice comment or a mean comment. I'll just delete it, but I'll save the nice ones. Um, I, I appreciate you guys all watching. There's a lot of streaming. I feel like the local news. There's a lot of streaming options these days. We're happy you've chosen us. <laughs> this is, though, first and foremost, a audio podcast. Remember, just audio? Uh, and this uh, that's available on Anchor and iTunes or Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and a lot of other places. Castley Talk uh, goes on. We are going to be taking a deeper dive into the events of uh, the Targaryen Civil War. One, one of many. We know the Targaryens like fighting, but the big one uh, that might be the centerpiece of the forthcoming show, or maybe it's not, but we're going to dive into it. Uh, Thomas is going to help us with that. Andres is going to come back on and talk about all the things he loves and all the frustrations. And Rachel, we, we know you're busy. We know you're busy doing that wonderful editing thing, but we're going to try to work it out. We might have some supplemental shows with you soon on, on different nights uh, or different times uh, to get uh, you uh, talking Game of Thrones and World of Ice and Fire stuff because I know you love it and, you, and you're, you're, you're great at it. So 
We are almost out of here. Uh, uh, tell everyone uh, where they can find you, starting with you, Mr. Sir Thomas the Tall. You can find me on Twitter at Thomas Wrestling and all things podcast related at FTM Podcast Feed on Twitter as well. Got some cool stuff going over there. You guys are feeding some monsters. I like it. Uh, Andres Cabrera. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Squad Leader Ace and obviously my YouTube channel, First Cut, where you can find the Meeting of Podcast. Love it. Check out everything they're doing there. And Rachel Cushing, where can they follow you? I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Rachel J. Cushing, and I'm popping up on as many of these streams and feeds with my friends as I possibly can because it's what's getting me through the days. So hopefully I'll see you around. We want to help you get through those days, Rachel. Continue doing all your hard work. It's uh, appreciated by us out here, even though it's uh, you know it's behind the scenes stuff. It's not all winning movie ch- trivia championships for you. You got some <laughs> some real work to do. We appreciate it. Uh, if you want to follow more of my adventures, go to kennapsuck.com or follow me at kennapsuck. New baseball podcast, Box Score Heroes, coming very soon. Getting some art, putting it all together. A feed entirely about baseball. It's like my seventh grade dreams came true. So we'll see you soon. We'll see you next time. This was Casterly Talk. <laughs>